my name's Shayla, and I am Pastor TJ's wife, and I don't get to see you guys very often, so I'm back in the frozen tundra called Monarch High School Auditorium, because it is frigid in here every single week. But I'm so excited to be with you guys this weekend and talking about relationships. How many of you guys have enjoyed this series so far? Yeah. Man, we have gotten so much great feedback feedback and just some incredible conversations that have come throughout this series and just questions that you guys are asking. Also, we need you guys to text and to email your questions. We've had some come in, but here's what I don't want, Pastor TJ making up questions. Because guaranteed, it's going to be things that he wants me to do that he's going to ask a question about, so then I have to be accountable to doing it. So please send your questions in. Let us know. I know we've probably answered a lot of them. How, how awesome was last week? Even, I was like sitting in my chair going like this because I was so embarrassed about what he was talking about. But you know what? I think it's something that we neglect so many times in church. And I'm so grateful to have a husband and to have a church that addresses those issues. And so I'm just super excited this morning to be bringing you guys a message on relationships today. And this is something that I'm extremely passionate about and that I wanna see people have successful relationships in their life. And as I was doing some research this week, I came across some things that kids said about marriage, and I wanna share those with you guys. The first one is, is Kirsten, she's age 10, and she says this about marriage. She says, no person really decides before they grow up who they're gonna marry. God decides it all way before, and you get to find out later who you're stuck with. Then Alan, age 10, says this, you got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like if you like sports, she should like sports, and she should keep the chips and dips coming. <laughs> right, kids? So they asked one of the kids named Freddie what the right age is to get married, and Freddie is six, and he says, no age is good to get married at. You got to be a fool to be married. <laughs> Six-year-old, okay? So here, in answering the age-old question about whether it's better to be single or married, Anita, who's age nine, says it's better for girls to be single but not for boys because boys need someone to clean up after them. <laughs> true, very true. This is my favorite, okay, Ricky, age 10. He says this when asked how to best make a marriage work. 10 years old, he says, tell your wife that she looks pretty even if she looks like a truck. Best advice anyone could ever get is to always tell your wife she looks pretty even if she looks like a truck. I mean, come on. Well, here, you know, this morning, I think that's some great advice from some kids and some great perspective on how they view marriage. But here's the thing. As Americans, I think we need some advice on love and marriage because we're jacking this thing up. I found some statistics this week, and I'm just going to read the statistics real quick, and our society leads the industrialized world in teenage pregnancy. One in three girls in America become pregnant by the age of 20, and 81% of them out of wedlock. 90% of our youth have been exposed to pornography by the age of 18. 50% of first marriages end in divorce. 67% of second marriages end in divorce and 74% of third marriages end in divorce. Because we say, oh, the first time didn't work, so let me try the same thing I did last time over again, and we keep doing that, and we keep getting the same exact result we got the first time. And see, 
here's, here's a little bit more. It says, according to the Center of Disease Control and Prevention in 2012, they said that there was nearly 1.8 million sexually transmitted diseases reported. More than 1.1 million people in the U.S. are living with HIV, and over 650,000 Americans have died because of AIDS-related causes. We are living in a society that has love and relationships jacked up. And there's some things that we're doing, and we're listening to society and how society wants us to have relationships, and it's messing up our perspective of what a good relationship looks like. And so many times we go and we look at the Bible and we look at what God says and we're like, man, that's just a bunch of rules. This is just a bunch of crap. I don't want to live that way. I don't want to not have sex till I'm married. I don't want to not live with that person. I don't want to abide by all these rules because, you know what, I just, I just want to do my own thing. And, and that's, that's boring. That Everybody will think I'm stupid if I do that. But apparently how our world and our society is doing things is jacking it up way more than the parameters that God puts on our life. And see, God puts those parameters there not as rules and regulations, but as protection. And he's trying to protect and preserve what an incredible and what a good relationship looks like. And I think so many times we look at those things like restrictions when we, we should be looking at them like God's protection. And this morning, I want to talk to you guys about commitment, because I think commitment is something that is completely lost in our generation, in our culture. Nobody is committed to anything. And this morning, I want to talk to you about three stages of commitment, because here's the thing. Commitment does not start when somebody puts a ring on your finger. Commitment starts way before that. Commitment starts way before anybody ever asks you to marry them before you get into that relationship? Because here's the thing, the first stage of commitment that I believe is in commitment is preparing. The average person dates 26 people before they get married. Crazy. That must start when they're in middle school because that's a lot of people. I maybe should have checked that stat. But anyway, how many of you guys like M&Ms? I'm gonna be all over the place. Oh, I love M&Ms. I love me some peanut M&Ms. Like peanut M&Ms and an ice cream Snickers, that's pretty much my favorite snack to have. And so I just love M&Ms. And the thing is, I've always been a peanut M&M person. And every, anytime I'm at the store, like in the checkout line or anything like that, I'm like, oh, peanut M&Ms, I just have to get some. And so I get some and I eat it and I regret it later. But anyways, so I've always been addicted to peanut M&Ms. But sometime later, almond M&Ms came out. I was like, oh, almonds, I love almonds. And so I kind of threw the peanut M&Ms to the side, and I was like, oh, i got to have me some almond M&Ms. And I picked up almond M&Ms. Do you know that there's 21 flavors of M&Ms? Crazy. You know what? And every time a new one comes out, I'm like, oh, got to have the pretzel. Got to try those. Done with the M&M and the almond. i got to have the pretzel. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Mint. Got to have the mint. Ew. <laughs> Who said ew to mint? Come on, it's like Andy's candies. That's like amazing. But then, birthday cake M&Ms. They're disgusting, just telling you right now. <laughs> Picked them up, tried a few, and I was like, oh, I'm not going back there. But here's the thing. We find these different candies and something new comes out and we trade in the old one for the new one. And we're like, oh, a new flavor came out. Let me throw away the old one and let me try the new one. And we keep doing this, and we keep doing this, and I always go back to peanut M&M's. 
not going to lie, but I will always try the new flavor that's out there. But here's the deal. I think we do the same thing in relationships. We get into relationships, and it's going good for a while, and things are going good, and you're, you get in this relationship, you're like, this guy is hot, or this girl's hot. Man, i got to hook up with this girl. And we get in these relationships, and things seem to be going good, but then time goes by, and you kind of find something that you're like, mm, not really liking that about them. And you break off the relationship, and you move into another relationship. And this time you get into this relationship, and you're like, oh, I kind of like this guy. Like, I could, I could see this going somewhere. And we end up doing things in those relationships we end up sleeping with those people. We end up crossing intimacy lines that we shouldn't cross. We end up, you know, investing in these relationships and getting the benefits of what marriage should be without ever making the commitment. And we're going about and we're living with these people. We're crossing those intimacy lines. We're doing all of those things without ever making a commitment. And then something happens, and we don't like that person anymore. They're not the one for us, and we end up bailing on that relationship and taking all of our baggage into the next relationship and doing the same thing, crossing the intimacy barriers and doing all of the things that are intended for marriage but we're never committing to. And we're dating and we're dumping, and we're dating and we're dumping, and we're dating and we're dumping. And what we're doing is we're playing married, but we're practicing divorce. And I think so many of us get caught up in the fact that, you know what, I can't, I can't get into a relationship with this person. I can't marry this person unless I've lived with them or I've slept with them because what if, what if it's not good? What if I can't, what if I can't stand to live with them? Let me tell you something. I found this this morning. Eight out of 10 couples who live together before they're married either break up before marriage or end up in getting divorced. Eight out of 10. Go ahead, try it your way. Couples who don't live together before they're married, there's a 20% divorce rate. Couples who do live together before marriage, it goes up to 50%. See, God put these things in our life to protect us from pain, from hurt, from guilt, from resentment, but we continue to play like we're married without any commitment, and we're practicing divorce, and we're wondering why our marriages keep ending, and we're wondering why the divorce rate is so high. Clearly, we need to change our perspective on what a committed relationship looks like and what commitment looks like. See, here's the thing about preparing for the commitment is preparing is all about becoming. Preparing is about becoming who you're supposed to be. It's becoming who God created you to be because God has a specific purpose and plan for your life. He has something incredible planned for you. And so many times we want to take those things into our own hands. And we want to play God in our own lives. When God's saying, look, 
Just make me number one. I promise everything else will work out. Here in Psalms 37, 4, it says this. It says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But here's what we do is we take the desires of our heart, and these guys or these girls that we want to be with, and we get in those relationships, and then we say, okay, God, now you make this the person. Instead of saying, okay, God, you're number one in my life. You're the one I pursue. You're the one I commit to. And the Bible is clear that it says when you do that, when you take delight in the Lord, then he gives you the desires of your heart. And if we can learn how to place God in that number one spot, we're going to avoid a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of resentment. Because so many of us are doing it according to the world's standards instead of saying, God, I place you first. You know, I think there's a lot of us out there, and this message is going to be for everybody, not just single people. I promise I'm getting somewhere. But I think so many of us in, our, in, your, in your single life, you think singleness is punishment. Like God is punishing me. Singleness is a waste of time. I just want to be married. I just want a relationship. But what we don't realize is that your singleness right now is preparation. It's God preparing you for the incredible plan that he has for your life. It is not him punishing you. But there are things that are happening in your life right now that are being used to prepare you for something. And you're just throwing it off and you're mad at God. And you're frustrated at God because, hey, I'm still single. But God's saying, listen, if you will place me first, if you will allow me to prepare you, I have great things for you. See, you will never get this time back. And God wants you to be using this time to build your relationship with him, to build your security in him, to know your identity and who you are. See, here's the deal. The more you know who you are, the more you know your identity and your security, the more, the better people you're going to attract. Because what you respect, you attract. And if you respect yourself, if you respect your relationship with God, if you make that a high, of highest priority, I guarantee you, you will attract people that do the same thing. So if you are so sick of getting in deadbeat relationships, take a look at your life and ask yourself if you respect yourself, if you respect that relationship with God, because it's up to you who you attract. So take a look at your life. Singleness is not a waste of time. Here's the deal, girls. Listen up. We need to quit looking for Prince Charming and crown the king that's already in our life. We need to quit looking around for the right guy. And we need to put God as the, on the throne of our heart. Guys, the same kind of thing applies to you. Look at you. Who are you becoming? What is your character as a man? What does your integrity look like? How do you treat the people around you? Because let me tell you this right now. Years from now, 
You'll have sons and you'll have daughters and those sons are going to grow up to be just like you and those daughters are going to marry men like you. Is that a good or a bad thing? We need to look introspectively at ourselves because God has something incredible for you. In 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, it says, but you are the chosen ones. You are chosen by God, chosen for a high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he has made for you. Let me tell you, there will be a night and day difference when you make him the throne and the king of your life. He says, I have brought you from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. He has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your relationship, but it starts with preparing. It starts with becoming who you're supposed to be. C.S. Lewis said this, a woman's heart should be so close to God that a man should have to chase him to find her. Same thing is true for you guys. In Proverbs 24, 27, it says, prepare your work outside. Get everything for yourself, ready for yourself in the field, and after that, build your house. See, preparation is key. You have to prepare the ground. You have to prepare the land before you ever build a house on it. And some of you guys are making commitments before you're ever making any preparation. And see, your foundation that you're building now is the key to your future fulfillment. And if the foundation that you're building now is rocky, the foundation is weak, then everything that you build upon that is going to crumble and fall. And I want to encourage you guys this morning, prepare. Become the person that God's called you to be. Live a life worthy of that calling. See, preparing is less about finding the right person and more about becoming the right person. Because as you become the right person, you'll, fu- you'll find fulfillment. You'll find hope, you'll find joy, you'll find those relationships. Second part of commitment is making the commitment. You know, whenever we put a ring on it and we get up there and we're gonna make our vows, what do those vows say? They say for better or for in sickness and in What else? Till death do us part. Richer or for poorer. See, there's lots of things that those vows say. They don't just say, I'm going to love you in the good times. I'm going to love you as long as you're healthy. I'm going to love you as long as you're rich. See, when I married TJ, they had money. When I got in the family, it all went away. (laughs) I've been resentful ever since. But see, we make those vows on our wedding day. And what we don't realize, I think so many people walk into marriage and they think everything's going to be amazing. It's going to be so good. You know what? We can cuddle every night. I could just talk to him all the time. And guys think, I get to have sex every day. Great. We women, we're just so excited about that. You know what? And, they, and we go into marriage thinking that everything is going to be for better. 
that we're always going to be healthy, that we're always going to have enough money. But let me tell you, those vows that you make on your wedding day are a projection about your future. And there will be some four worst days. Everybody that's married is like, amen. Because we all know that there's going to be times that it's going to rock the boat. And see, the thing is, in those four worst moments, you have to decide before you ever make that commitment. In those four worst moments, am I marrying somebody that I'm going to be committed to in those moments? That I know is going to lead me in those moments? That I know is going to support me in those moments? Because they will come. So what is that other person's character look like? What does your character look like? You know, TJ and I went through some really rough times over the years. We've been married 14 years, and there's been a lot of ups and a lot of downs. But I remember the third year in our marriage was like hell on earth. And we were living completely separate lives, completely different lives. He had started a business, and he was trying to make that business work, and he was doing really well. But he was busy all the time. And he was gone all the time, and we were never together. And so I took that time to hang out with my friends and go to the beach, and I was just having a good old time. And we were living in this house, and we were roommates. We couldn't get along about anything. We would fight about everything because we were on two completely separate pages. And I remember one night TJ coming to me, and he sat me down, and he said, we need to talk. I was like, yeah, we do. And he goes, do you want to move out or should I? He said, because I feel like we're living two separate lives right now, and I just want to know, do you really want to make this work? And all it took was one conversation for us. And I said, I made a commitment to you, for better or for worse. And he said, I committed to you too, and I want to make this work. And we took that time to build our relationship back, to establish things again. And you know what? I'm grateful for a man who could lead me in that moment, even when it was a mess, even when there was pain, even when there was chaos, even when I wasn't even confident that I even loved him. He loved me, and he carried me through it. See, when we make a commitment, we have to realize that it's not just in the good times, but in the bad times too. And are you ready to do whatever it takes to make that commitment work for better or for worse? See, very seldom can you keep a committed person from success. How many of you guys know somebody that's committed to making something work, like in their job or in their family or whatever it looks like? Rarely you can keep a committed person from success. Obstacles come up. They go over. They go under. They go through. They will do whatever it takes to get to the destination that they want to be. You know what? Stumbling blocks. Things happen in front of them, and they take those stumbling blocks, and they make them a stepping stone and a learning experience to the next thing. See, very seldom can you keep a committed person from success. And we need to ask ourselves, how committed are we? Are you committed even when times get tough, even when problems arise? Because here's the thing, commitment always requires something of us.
Commitment requires sacrifice. See, when TJ was asking me to marry him, actually before this, before he asked me to marry him, he had these god-awful cowboy boots. Oh my gosh, you guys, like, they were hideous. And he would wear them with baggy khaki pants. And I used to cringe every time he came in the room with these on. I was like, oh, gosh, I need to teach this man something. And every time I would talk to him, I was like, TJ, why are you wearing those? They don't look good. He's like, they're ostrich skin. <laughs> Give the ostrich back his skin because it ain't cute. <laughs> and so he would wear these cowboy boots all the time. And on the night of our engagement, he didn't wear them. But he was asking me to marry him, and he was saying all of these sweet things and all these amazing things, and he got down on his knee, and he, we were, like, on the beach, and he had this photographer, and it was just amazing. And he was like, will you marry me? Will you spend the rest of your life with me? I'm like, will you get rid of the boots? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. I didn't do that, I promise. But after I got engaged to him, I went into his house, and I went in the closet, and I hid the boots because <laughs> I didn't want them on him anymore. But see, commitment requires sacrifice. We have to give things up. We have to let go of our wants and our desires because when we're committed to something, we're willing to give up other things in our life. See, no matter what you want in life, it requires you to sacrifice something, to give something up. Hey, if you want a new house, you gotta give up 150 grand to have a new house, right? Or more. You want a new car? You have to give up $35,000 to get a new car. It's going to cost you something. And very few of us are willing to pay the price for successful relationships. Because we don't want to give up what we want. See, to have a good marriage, to stay in shape, to succeed in business, you will have to sacrifice. See, to have a good marriage, to stay in shape, all of those things, those require sacrifice, but to, you pay a price for everything in life. You pay a price to lose weight. You pay a price to win. You pay a price to change because it requires tough stuff. You pay a price to even stay the same. We pay a price for everything in life, and the bottom line is in order to have successful relationships, it is going to require you to sacrifice something. See, Jesus gave us the perfect example of what this looks like in his word. He marries the, the thought of Christ and his relationship with the church, and he gives us that as an example in our marriages. And he says this in Ephesians 5, and 23. It says, wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that, support, that show your support for Christ. It doesn't say it's contingent upon what he's doing. It says you show him support because you support Christ. You support your relationship with God, and it's because what God asked us to do, not what he's doing. And it says the husband provides leadership to his wife in a way that Christ does his church. Listen, guys, you need to step up. We need leaders to lead our families I talk to wives all the time, and you know what they say to me? I wish my husband would just lead. 
I wish I would just see him reading his Bible. I wish he would have spiritual conversations with me. Men, it's time to lead. As Christ led the church, it says, husbands provide leadership to the wife in the way Christ says the church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husband. See, wives, we have to submit to our husband, not because they do all the right things, say all the right things, but it's because what God asks us to do. Ephesians 5, 25 through 28 says, Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives exactly as Christ did for the church. See, Christ gave himself up for the church. He sacrificed everything for you and for me. And it says, a love marked by giving and not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words invoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring out the best in her. Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness, and, this, and that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They are really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. Saying, husbands, just love your wife. Cherish her, honor her, build her up, strengthen her sacrifice see when we get married when we get married it's less about our independence and more about our interdependence because when we are dependent on God and his relationship with us and we know our identity and who we are it doesn't matter what the other person does it doesn't matter if if they screw up or they don't say the right thing because we know who we are The Bible says this in Proverbs 16, 3. It says, commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. The last point I want to make is that we need to keep the commitment. This is about keeping the commitment. Benjamin Franklin once said, if we take care of the minutes, the years will take care of themselves. See, so much of marriage is investing in that relationship. See, so many times we think that good relationships are something that just happen. But see, good relations aren't just something we find, they are something we make. The love that that we think we feel is a perishable commodity. And every single day, You have to make an investment in your relationship. You have to make an investment in that person. How many of you guys know, guys, have you ever bought your wife flowers? One? Oh, okay, now the hands go up, okay. So guys buy their wife flowers and they think, oh man, this week is gonna be awesome. I'm gonna get some every night, like it's gonna be good. That's all guys think about, at least that's what I think that's all guys think about. So, So you get her flowers and you're thinking, yeah, it's gonna be a great week and the next day you like are getting in bed for the night or whatever and you think, yes, it's that time. And she turns over and she gets all snuggled up and she's ready to go to sleep and you're like, what? I bought you flowers, I mean. And she's like, I know you bought me flowers, but today I needed help, and all you did was sit on the couch all day. See, 
This starts over every single day. The clock starts over at midnight. What you did yesterday, it ain't going to work today. Babe Ruth said this. He said, yesterday's home runs don't win today's games. Every single day, we need to be making an investment in our relationship, an investment into our spouse. Because what we did yesterday is not good enough for today. See, commitment is a choice that we make whether we feel love or not. In 1 Corinthians, it says this. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, it says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful, and it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. See, this verse talks all about our actions and nothing to do with the other person. See, love is a decision that we make every single day. It's not a feeling that we feel. It's a choice that we make. And if your relationship is struggling, I would challenge you, what investment are you making? What does your love look like for that person? Is it based on what they're doing for you? Because what I'm reading right here, it says that love bears all things. It says love endures all things. See, the things that we value the most are the things that we work hardest at. And I wanna ask you this morning, what does your love look like? What do you need to change in your life today to be a better you? Because I think we need to stop talking about what the other person's not doing or how someone's not satisfying us or they're not doing the right things and we just need to start taking a look at ourselves and saying, what am I investing? How am I loving? What can I do different? Because it doesn't matter what they're doing, God is calling you to love. He's calling you to invest. And I think today's the day that we need to recognize that this has nothing to do with the other person and it has everything to do with you. Are you committed? Are you preparing? Will you guys bow your heads and close your eyes? Maybe you're out there today and you're struggling in your relationship. And you realize maybe you've made some bad decisions or you've lost hope in that relationship or maybe you've made a lot of mistakes and you're saying, I haven't done it right. And today's the day you say, Shayla, I wanna do things different. I wanna make a change. I need to invest either in my preparation, in my marriage, whatever that looks like. If that's you today and you're struggling, would you lift your hand? I wanna pray for you. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Yes. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that your plans are great for us. That it doesn't matter 
the mistakes we've made in the past. It doesn't matter where we've been, God. Today is a new day. And I pray today, God, that you would give the, these people the courage to step out and to love and to invest and to prepare. Lord, I pray that we would let go of the past and that today, God, we would make a new decision to place you on the throne of our life. To make you that number one. To find our security and our strength in you. And God, as we do that, I pray that you work out all the rest. That you teach us how to love. That you teach us how to accept. That you show us who we are today, God. Pray that you restore relationships that may be hurting, that may be broken, God. That you would breathe new life today. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.